This is Radio Orbit, exploring the secrets of everything on KOPN, 89.5 FM, Columbia. to you wherever you might be this is Mike Hagan and you're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN 
89.5 FM, Mid-Missouri source for in-depth news, diverse talk, music of the world. It's more than radio, it's community radio, and it's your imagination station, KOPN, Columbia, and uh, lots of other areas around Mid-Missouri here. So this is it. You're listening to it. This is Radio Orbit, KOPN. My name is Mike Hagan. I'm your host every week on Sunday mornings, 2 a.m. to 5 a.m. on Radio Orbit, and we talk about the strange and unusual and unexpected and uh, unpredictable and all kinds of interesting things on this program. And tonight we're going to do the same. And uh, we don't actually have a guest tonight. I'm going to do the show myself tonight. I had originally scheduled George Erickson for the program tonight. We were going to do uh, uh, have a discussion about Atlantis. And uh, we're still going to do that. But uh, the only reason why we, uh, why we postponed it is because... Uh, uh, George has a special that's going to be airing on the History Channel, and that special was supposed to be airing tomorrow night, Monday night, uh, but the History Channel had a change of schedule, and they pushed it out into March. Uh, so uh, we decided that rather than have the interview uh, right now, uh, a month before the program's actually going to be aired on the History Channel, I'd like to wait a few weeks and air it at a time closer to the television release date so that people are uh, familiar with it and it's still fresh in their minds if they decide that they might like to watch the special that's going to be on the History Channel. So anyway, that's coming up in a few weeks. So if you're interested in the, uh, uh, the history and the mythology uh, and reality, uh, perhaps, perhaps not, uh, of the, uh, the old historical continent of it uh pardon me of atlantis uh you might uh you might check that out in a few weeks and uh, remember that there's going to be a special coming up on the history channel with uh, george erickson talking about atlantis and uh the connection that the uh myth of atlantis has to some of the mesoamerican myths uh including the maya so that's coming up. Uh, so anyway, uh, we were going to do that tonight, and we decided not to. And uh, so I'm going to do the show myself tonight. I have some interesting things to talk about, as you might expect. And uh, I'll also open up the phone lines a little bit later. So if anybody wants to give me a call and uh, ask a question or uh, uh, make a statement or just chat and say hi, we'll do that in a few minutes. We'll do that after space weather. Um, I'll open the phone lines in maybe 15, 20 minutes or so. But uh, before that, uh, let's just talk about a couple things real fast. As I said, no guests tonight. We'll be doing the show uh, myself. I might talk to Kent. I just sent a little instant message to Kent Stedman uh, to see if he wanted to do a quick 15, 20 minutes or so. I don't know if uh, if he's going to be able to do that. I'll check the uh, the computer here in a minute when I get off the air. But Unfortunately, I don't have the technology to be looking at it right now, real time, as I'm talking to you guys. So, anyway, uh, mostly tonight's just going to be me ranting and raving and uh, playing some cool music and uh, doing some other stuff. So, okay, um, for everybody out there listening, thank you very much. Thank you for the emails uh, that you've sent me over the last week or so. Uh, Thanks for the nice words. Um, In particular, uh, thanks to Scott uh, listening in Mexico, Missouri. Uh, I appreciate uh, the support, Scott, and thanks for uh, thanks for the for the kind words. Also, um, uh, to Deborah in Kingdom City, as always, thanks. Those are a couple people who um, uh, who recognized uh, the wisdom 
and the wordsmanship of Terrence McKenna last week. If you were lucky enough to hear the program, we aired a piece uh, uh, that was called Eros and the Eschaton, a recording from 1994 from my old friend Terrence McKenna. And uh, as it always does when people hear Terrence for the first time, they are quite usually struck by his... uh, by his words. So cool. I'm glad you guys appreciated it, and I hope there are others of you out there that uh, that appreciated it as well. Okay, um, uh, with that in mind, if you'd like to contact me, if you'd like to uh, uh, get in touch, if you have any questions, if you have concerns, if you have ideas for future programs, if you have wonderful stories, uh, feel free to email me at any time. My email address is orbitradio, O-R-B-I-T, R-A-D-I-O, Orbit Radio at AOL.com. You can also check us out on the web at uh, www.radioorbit.com, R-A-D-I-O-R-B-I-T.com. All right, and the number here in the studio, like I say, I'm going to take a break here in a few minutes and play a couple songs, but um, uh, after we do space weather, after the break, uh, I'll open the phone lines up here for people who'd like to call in. And that number is area code 573-443-8255. That's 443-8255. And if you want to get a hold of me uh, in the studio, uh, and I advise that you only do that if there's music playing, because otherwise I won't be able to answer the phone, uh, call at uh, 573-874-5676 or 1-800-895-5676, Okay. All right, so that's the deal. Uh, if you want to call in and talk after space weather, call me, 573-443-8255. It's the last time I'm going to give that number out for a little while. All right, uh, upcoming guests. Um, as I said, George Erickson, we moved him out to March. Next week, we're going to do an, uh, what, I, what I hope to be an incredible program. We're going to do a live show with a gentleman whose name is Sean Montgomery. Sean is a researcher and a documentary film producer. Uh, who has recently completed the second in a series of videos um, that uh, uh, detail the life of a man whose name was Royal Raymond Reif. And Royal Raymond Reif was uh, an incredible scientist and uh, an amazing machinist and a medical genius who existed in the early 20th century and uh, has quite a significant role in the historical record between the years of 1915 and 1930. Interestingly, uh, Royal Raymond Reif is not a name that most people are familiar with, and uh, his story is quite remarkable. So uh, I will leave it at that, but I urge you to listen to the show next week. We're going to do a full, probably a three-hour interview I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preclude most of the stuff that we do during the first hour, and um, I'm going to have Sean on. We'll probably do 15 minutes or so of what we typically do, and then uh, have Sean on at about uh, a quarter after 20 after the, after the hour next week. So we're going to have a real long interview because there's a whole lot to talk about, uh, but uh, definitely tune in for that next week when I'll be talking to Sean Montgomery uh, live uh, discussing the historical significance of a man whose name was Royal Raymond Reif, and trust me, he was very significant in probably somebody's life who you know. 
Uh, we have lots of other people coming up. I've got a great schedule lined up for uh, the rest of 2005, or at least out a few months from now. Uh, Stephen Buhner, uh, the author of The Lost Language of Plants, will be talking about uh, the incredible world of plants that most people take for granted and don't even uh, realize the significance of in our particular society and culture. I'll be talking to Rick Strassman, the author of DMT, The Spirit Molecule. DMT, of course, that psychoactive substance, that psychoactive compound, that molecule that is such a mystery to me and such a, a wonder, uh, something that I have so much interest in. We'll be talking to uh, Rick Strassman. Actually, I'll be interviewing Rick on Tuesday, but I'll probably air the interview uh, in a week or two. And lots of other stuff coming up. Dr. Michael Heisen will be talking about dolphins and whales and communication and language and all this stuff coming up uh, over the next month or two. And uh, also March is um, uh, Women's History Month, I think, National Women's History Month. So we'll be doing a lot of stuff with, uh, with the ladies and playing lots of uh, chick music and all kinds of cool stuff like that. Now, speaking of that, um, uh, speaking of chicks, there's a, there's a girl I know whose name is Mel. We won't, uh, we won't expound on it any further than that, but there's a little party going on tonight, and I just want to say hi to the people over there doing the Como Music Slumber Party. There's uh, quite a little uh, gathering of folks over there, and uh, I was lucky enough to get invited and uh, take the chance to go over there and say hi and uh, get to meet some people that I hadn't met before. Uh, in the area here, and we had a real good time, and I think they're going to be doing things up for quite a while. My uh, um, my understanding of how things are going over there uh, is correct. So anyway, uh, you guys, hope you're having a good time. Uh, turn off the uh, that perverse version of Pokemon that you might have going, and uh, check this out for a minute. This is for all you guys over there. This is Romeo Void. Back in a minute, Radio Orbit KOPN.
That's Romeo Void, Never Say Never, Radio Orbit, KOPN. That goes out to Mel and the gang over there doing the Como Music Slumber Party. Here's one more for you guys. This is The Apartment Song, another song sort of apropos of get-together. Over there, Tragically Hip, KOPN, Radio Orbit, back in a minute with Space Weather, and then we'll do the show like we normally do.
Tragically Hip. That was the apartment song from Trouble in the Hen House. Speaking of Trouble in the Hen House, we're going to do space weather right now, and I didn't have a whole lot to talk about until this afternoon. So uh, we'll do the typical uh, thing, and then I'll tell you the interesting stuff coming up because it's related to uh, um, some of the things that we've talked about in the past with Dr. Paul Laviolette and uh, Kent Stedman and some others on the program. So uh, first things first, blue skies on Saturn. Earth is not the only planet, apparently, with blue sky. Uh, NASA, courtesy of the Cassini spacecraft, has told us now that the, um, uh, that the skies on Saturn are blue sometimes. And uh, uh, there's a pretty interesting story about it over there at the uh, uh, science.nasa website. So if you're interested in that, go take a look at it. But uh, as always, science astounded and confounded by new and unexpected data. Uh, according to folklore, the full moon in February, which is coming up uh, on the 22nd and the 23rd, depending on where you are, uh, which is just a couple of days from now, uh, the full moon in February is called the snow moon. And uh, the reason it's called the snow moon is because moonlight that uh, shines down on the ground when there's snow on the ground makes it unusually bright. Uh, so the ground and the earth is illuminated in areas where there are snow, more so than, of course, when there is not snow. So that's why we call it a snow moon. All right, so more wonderful information for you on radio orbit. Of course, um, when the moon is bright and the air is cold, you can also see things like uh, moon dogs or moon halos. Sometimes they call them when uh, the ice crystals sort of form in the... Uh, uh, in the atmosphere and the light that's being reflected off the moon gets bent and we start to see these effects around the moon. Uh, you don't have to be in a cold climate in order to see these sort of things. You can be in the equatorial regions, of course, because up in the upper atmosphere it's very cold regardless of where we are on the planet. So uh, good news, everybody can uh, can witness that stuff um, themselves. You know, we talked last week about Galileo and... Uh, uh, celebrating his birthday, 400 and some odd years old, if I remember right. And we talked a little bit about his uh, research and uh, um, interest in sunspots. And he was one of the very first to study sunspots and to look at them with a telescope. Uh, back in his day, back in the 1600s, uh, many people uh, many people believed that sunspots were actually satellites or moons of the sun of course the earth and all the planets can be considered moons of the sun i guess uh, but uh, regardless galileo proved by observing the sun and the uh, and making actual drawings of the sunspots every time he observed them he recognized that they were showing up in a cycle and he realized that this, this was about a 27 day cycle and that the sunspots must be uh, either located on the surface of the sun or uh, or very close to the surface of the sun. So that was another thing that we have um, to thank Mr. Galileo for. And uh, to this day, we still have astronomers, although the technology, of course, that we use now is quite 
uh, a bit more advanced than the telescopes that Galileo was uh, availed to. Um, the methodology is about the same. We still have uh, drawings and sketchings of sun of uh, sunspots. We still have astronomers that are uh, watching the sun and drawing sunspots. So, uh, speaking of sunspots, you know it's been uh, we've had a couple of really big sunspot areas. 734, 735 uh, that have been rolling around for the last two weeks, but interestingly there has been very little activity from them and uh, I was kind of surprised because we were expecting when these big spots came around after what happened uh, two or three weeks ago with the big X-class flares that we had seen um, I was surprised to see that there was uh, very actu- actually very little activity, uh, relatively speaking, uh, with regard to the size of the sunspots that are still right there on the front of the disk right now, but starting to roll around that west limb. So, anyway, we'll keep our eye on the sun. It's uh, interesting as always. Uh, potentially hazardous asteroids, near-Earth asteroids, NEOs, near-Earth objects, all the different acronyms that we have for those things. There's no particular news, uh, and I say always every week. When there's no news, there's no news because you don't know. Okay. Um, uh, as I said, we don't have a guest tonight, so I'm going to play a lot of music tonight, I think, uh, and uh, take some time to get these stories together. I'm sort of debating what I want to talk about tonight because there's something that's on my mind, but I'm just not sure if I should talk about it yet. And uh, I don't know. I'm still thinking about it. So we'll see what happens. But anyway, as of now, consider the phone lines open. If anybody wants to call and chat, um, if you have any questions or you want to talk about something on the air, feel free to call. The number is area code 573-443-8255. And uh, in the meantime, uh, speaking of the sun, this is Dada with Mary Sunshine Rain. This is Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN. We'll be back in a minute. Red wine and 
right, that was Dada from Puzzle. It's called Merry Sunshine Rain. This is Mike Hagen. You're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN 89.5 FM. And, uh, well, I don't know, the phone's not ringing, so I think I'll tell you about something interesting that's happening. Um, if you remember, back about a month ago, we I aired an interview with a an astrophysicist whose name was Dr. Paul Laviolette. And one of the things that we were talking about with Dr. Laviolette was um, something that was called uh, gamma ray bursts. And uh, a gamma ray burst is a particular uh, sort of phenomenon that happens when a star implodes or and explodes and uh, sends a, a wave across space uh, that eventually interacts with our planet and our solar system and uh, sometimes can interact in violent ways and who knows uh, what uh, you know the way I think that if it can interact in violent ways and it might also be able to interact in fascinating uh, fantastic ways as well so um, so I don't judge these events but but uh, but we have to understand that they occur and that they're uh, they're actually something that are ongoing and um, uh, there was a tsunami, as we all know, back on the 26th, early on the morning of December 26th last year. And I mentioned on the program a few weeks ago that corresponding to, uh, very closely to that uh, earthquake, underwater earthquake, and, um, and the resulting tsunami that there had been a gamma ray burst that had been detected uh, by the Burst Alert Telescope. And um, Dr. Paul Laviolette and I had talked, interestingly enough, very, you know, synchronicity, I guess is what we call that, but we had just been talking about that uh, a couple of weeks earlier, and um, we decided that it was something that we needed to look into a little bit further. Well, any, uh, at any rate, um, just yesterday uh, and this afternoon was released a story from, uh, from NASA, and this is actually from space.com, but uh, the, the, um, the story says, uh, brightest galactic flash ever detected hits Earth. A huge explosion halfway across the galaxy packed so much power, it briefly altered the Earth's upper atmosphere in December, astronomers said Friday. No known eruption beyond our solar system has ever appeared as bright upon arrival. But you could not have seen it unless you can top the X-ray vision of Superman. In gamma rays, the event equaled the brightness of the full moon's reflected visible light. The blast originated about 50,000 light years away. It was detected on December 27th. A light year is about um, uh, it's about six trillion miles. All right, and it's the distance that light travels in one year, which is 186,400 miles per second times 365 days a year is plus or minus about 6 trillion miles Okay, this is a long way um, but anyway uh, uh, this uh, story goes on to say the commotion was caused by a special variety of neutron star known as a magnetar these fast spinning compact stellar corpses no larger than a big city and I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in here and and point out as I always do that this is pure speculation and theory 
based on very loosely understood hypotheses. Uh, so when you hear these stories that are written as fact, understand that these guys are guessing as well. But this is the best guess we have so far. So, um, uh, so I guess we'll call it true enough. Okay. Uh, in any case, uh, these compact stellar corpses, no larger than a big city, create intense magnetic fields that trigger explosions. The blast was 100 times more powerful than any other similar eruption witnessed, said David Palmer of Los Alamos National Laboratory, one of several researchers around the world who monitored the event uh, with various telescopes. Had this happened within 10 light years of us, it would have severely damaged our atmosphere and possibly triggered a mass extinction, said Brian Gensler of Harvard Smithsonian Center of Astrophysics. There are no magnetars close enough to worry about, however, Gensler very hubristically and arrogantly adds, and two other astronomers told Space.com, but the strength of the tempest has them marveling over the dying star's capabilities while also wondering if major spe uh, species die-offs in the past might have been triggered by stellar explosions. Now, of course, Dr. Paul Laviolette has already proven this, and he's being suppressed and censored by the National Physics Archive at Cornell University. And uh, if anybody is interested in that, they can go find more information at archivefreedom.org, www.archivefreedom.org. Uh, uh, but uh, I'm going to read that last paragraph real fast. The story goes on um, a little bit further, but let me read that one more time. There are no magnetars close enough to worry about, however, Gansler and two other astronomers told Space.com. Well, they just said that they, that they, that they have no idea where these things are going to show up and when they're going to show up. Uh, but they are very certain that there are no magnetars close enough to worry about. Well, the simple fact is they have no idea because these things pop up and uh, they're not predicted. They're not uh, sitting behind their computer screens saying, hey, let's uh, tune in on December 27th and watch that magnetar that's going to explode uh, down there in the area of, of uh, Sagittarius. What happens is the magnetar explodes. Our sensors pick it, pick it up. And then these guys go, whoa, check it out. Look at, look, look at what just happened to, uh, to the levels of our, uh, of our sensors and our monitors. So it's after the fact when they find out. And luckily, we find out. Uh, but uh, when they make statements like there are no magnetars in this particular, they have no clue. This is another, uh, this is another scientific fallacy. Uh, and I'm fed up with it uh, because science has its place but it does not have all the answers. And the universe is an incredibly dynamic and marvelous place. And anybody who thinks that they've got all the answers and have it figured out, they will continue to be astounded and fascinated by, uh, by new and unimaginable data that makes their theories look like the, the, the shell game that they really are. So anyway... Um, if you're interested in this stuff, please go take a look uh, at uh, www.archivefreedom.org. And uh, also, if you're interested in the work of uh, Dr. Paul LaViolette, who knows more about this particular phenomenon than pretty much anybody on the planet, as far as I'm concerned, uh, you can go to Dr. LaViolette's website at www.etheric.com. E um, speaking of Dr. Paul, the reason I'm so... Uh, riled about this tonight as I actually talked to Paul today and uh, we had a 
uh, an email conversation about some of this stuff, and I'm, I'm not going to quote him, but, uh, but I'll give you the gist of what he said. Um, uh, he basically thought that it was interesting that this particular gamma ray burst uh, emanated from our galaxy. And in the past, uh, the magnetars that we've detected, and we've only had the ability to detect them for a very short period of time, first of all, so we don't even know how, frequent, uh, how frequently they occur, how common they are, but um, anyway, Dr. Paul was pretty interested in the fact that this one actually occurred within our galaxy and uh, toward the center of our galaxy, toward the core of our galaxy. And if you're familiar with her, his work, you'll understand that that uh, is not insignificant. So again, uh, www.etheric.com if you're interested in this stuff. And uh, when I post this show on the web... I'll make sure that I include links uh, to all of these stories and to Dr. Laviolette's website and um, some of these other people. But the interesting question is, was this related to the tsunami? Was uh, this related to the, uh, the geologic event that caused the tsunami uh, in, uh, in the Indian Ocean? Now, the gamma ray burst was detected at about... Oh, uh, December 27th at about 2130 hours uh, Greenwich time. The tsunami occurred about 20 hours and 30 minutes earlier. So the earthquake and resultant tsunami happened before the gamma ray burst was detected by the monitors here on Earth. But... There is an interesting theory, one that Dr. La, uh, Dr. Laviolette has, uh, has put forward that talks about something that is now uh, uh, commonly talked about in certain uh, areas of physics, and that's called a gravity wave. And it's thought that a gravity wave is also created when a magnetar explodes. Well, Dr. Laviolette's theory proposes with good reason, uh, that the gravity wave is superluminal. It travels faster than the speed of light. And if we consider that uh, in this scenario, it's possible that, the, uh, uh, that, that those events were connected. Probable? I'm not sure. Uh, you know, for real? Who knows? But, um, but certainly possible. And... Uh, I want to just put that out there and let people know that that was something that, uh, that I found very interesting. And we'll be talking to Dr. Paul Laviolette uh, again. Oh, I don't know when. If I can talk him into coming back on the air, he has a lot of things going on. Um, but uh, we'll try to get him back here shortly. And um, when we come back, we're going to take another break here in a second. But when we come back, actually, I think I'm going to do this story right now. Uh, you, you know, I was talking about Archive Freedom just a few minutes ago, and this is a website that uh, Dr. Laviolette and a number of other uh, decorated scientists have um, collaborated to put together this project, this website, to try to protect themselves and help other uh, scientists, regardless of the discipline, regardless of the particular area of science that these people are working in, to try to help these people and have a, uh, a supportive environment for people who are being censored and who are being suppressed because uh, this is something that is real. It's something that's been real throughout human history. 
but interestingly now uh, we have this technology that if utilized correctly allows an amazing amount of connectivity and communication and the ability uh, for language to really shine and to really uh, start to push the envelope of communication which is what we have to do we are at a critical time we are at a uh, at a tipping point as it were the earth is in peril the species is on the brink the baby is pushing hard to get out of the womb toxemia is setting in if it's not born soon both mother and child will die and this is where we are whether you think we are or not whether you can see it or not this is where we are as a species as a race as a planet and uh, there are lots of things happening right now and there are many different ideas that are being pushed forward and there are many old ideas that are holding on tight to the old world and to the old ideas but those ideas are gone and they are the bones of a dying idea and they don't go lightly and here's a story that shows that along with the evidence and the and the, the real-life stories that people like Dr. Paul Laviolette who are doing such incredible work such fantastic work you know for the benefit of this planet for the benefit of all of the people that live on this planet we have the answers we have the tools we have the means to make things right what we need is a change of mind a change of mind and this story punctuates that fact this is from the Associated Press researchers say they shun controversy scientists say they often censor reports of their own work this is written by Randolph Schmidt some scientists are thinking twice about doing or reporting certain research reacting to political or social controversy in addition to legal restrictions it appears that controversy shapes what scientists choose to study and how they choose to study it and we need to look a little bit more closely at the effects it might be having say, said, uh, said Joanna Kemper a researcher at the University of Michigan Kempner and co-authors from Brown University and the University of Pennsylvania conducted an in-depth interview with 41 scientists engaged in a variety of different studies they found that half felt constrained by formal limits but even more said that they were affected by informal or unspoken rules on what and how studies should be done their findings are reported in Thursday's issue of the journal science in a paper entitled forbidden knowledge that alone should tell you something that papers have to be written called forbidden knowledge is there any knowledge that is that is forbidden by whom for what reason the story goes on to say formal limits include such things as the ban on federal funding for most research on embryonic stem cells and restrictions on research involving humans in many cases two scientific journals have their own rules such as refusing to publish material they think might be detrimental to national security but there are also fears about the ire of interest groups such as opponents of animal testing or how a project would be perceived by the public while formal and informal restrictions on research are not unusual Deborah Johnson of the University of Virginia said they are not necessarily all bad now I'm not going to read any more of the story that goes on but uh, the simple 
answer to the question is this. And the question is, what are you supposed to do if you are in the sciences? And the question extends to what are you supposed to do if you're a living, breathing, conscious human being on this planet? And the answer is to act with courage. To act with courage. Report the story if the information and the knowledge is there and available and will help us now at a time when we need it more than ever. It's time to let it fly without censorship, without the bounds of culture, without these blinders uh, that have been put on us that tell us we're this, that, or the other thing. Because the bottom line is we're all on this boat together. There might be ways off the boat. There might be some ways off the boat. But uh, right now those ways aren't available to everyone, that's for sure. And... Uh, for the time being, this is what we've got. It's our own responsibility and our own opportunity to make it in to what the hell we want it to be. Because if we don't do it, somebody else is going to. And it might not be what you, uh, what you have in mind. You know, It might not be your dream. It might be the dream of beady-eyed little men with agendas that would stand your hair on end. So take control, take the opportunity, take your life back. Reinvent your imagination. Do it now. Now's the time. We'll be back in a minute. This is Radio Orbit KOPN. I've got an amazing story I'm going to tell you in a few minutes. In the meantime, this is, uh, this is Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Back in a minute.
that was in a cave in a bad seas, red right hand. I was going to go do another story and tell you guys something, but I'm going to take just a few more minutes, and we'll come back and do that in just a second because my friend Angela just showed up, and she's got my mind elsewhere for a few minutes. So just uh, hold on a second. This is uh, another fitting tune for tonight. This is The Police from Synchronicity. It's called Walking in Your Footsteps. Take it to heart. Walking in your footsteps. That's the police 
uh, from Synchronicity on Radio Orbit KOPN. This is Mike Hagan. It's uh, just a few minutes after 3 o'clock in the morning, and I'm uh, I'm delinquent in my top of the hour <laughs> uh, ID. So you're listening to KOPN 89.5 FM, Mid-Missouri Source for In-Depth News, Diverse Talk Music of the World. It's more than radio. It's community radio. It's KOPN. It's your imagination station, and you're listening to it. Um, this is Mike Hagan, and it's Radio Orbit. I do this show every uh, every Sunday morning from 2 to 5. And um, I have a close friend of mine here in the studio who does a show as well. And I always love it. You never know who's going to show up on uh, late Saturday night, early Sunday morning. Uh, Angela, how are you doing? Hey, how you all? Angela was, uh, we, um, you know, this show, I do a lot of, funky news and stuff but uh but i'm really into the music thing as well and angela does a um uh, a jazz show on thursday nights from eight from o'clock eight to ten, yeah. eight to ten? Mm-hmm. what do you call your sh- what do you call your show it's the good sounds of jazz all right the good sounds of jazz and we um there's a few of us here at the station who have sort of uh started to form a little network of people that are really interested in the music scene around here in town and stuff and we're doing some pretty interesting stuff huh mm-hmm. that's right who'd you see this weekend oh this weekend um no earl was in town i didn't get to see him though tonight right yeah tonight with uh g levin special sauce they're both here right down the street from each other one at uh cherry street artisan and the other at the blue note but i was over in st louis seeing keen great band keen awesome. yeah. yeah there's been a lot of great stuff lately um Although I don't think you and I were able to do it together. I was at the Government Mule Show the other yeah. night uh, at the Blue Note. Outrageous. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just out of control uh, music. And Big Head Todd uh, just uh, yeah, last week. Show. And mm-hmm. lots of great stuff coming up, too. So, so yeah, so KOPN getting involved in a lot, uh, uh, getting getting much more deeply involved in the music scene in town. And I think we're pretty pretty psyched about it. So. That's right. Good to have people up here at the station. And, you know, it's right across the street from the Blue Note. So... For along the stop along the concert circuit. No doubt, real easy uh, uh, opportunity to get people up here and do little acoustic yeah. sets and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be trying to take advantage of that and uh, and maybe uh, maybe do something creative with it uh, down the road here. Uh, who knows? So um, anyway, all right. Well, Angela, I'm glad that you stopped in. So when's your show again? It's Thursday nights from eight to ten. And I just say that as if I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> because I want the people out there. That, I mean, if the, the the three people that are out there listening to my show, I'd like you to tune in to Angela's show. It's awesome. She plays great stuff, and um, and she's a great heart too. So, okay. So anyway, uh, what we'll, do you have lined up next? Wow. You have a story to tell. I, I have a great story to tell, and it's pretty intense, and um, it's going to take me probably about an hour to tell the whole story. I think. So I think um, I'm going to play one more piece of music here, and then I'll really get my act together. And I promise I won't uh, get your voice ready. Yeah, I won't. I won't. Um, I won't hold you guys uh, in suspense with this cliffhanger any longer. But um, I got to just take one more break. All right. So I'll be back. Doing? Put your slippers on. Get yourself cozy. Yeah, go a good get, story. Yeah, no doubt. Go get a glass of water or scotch <laughs> or roll your own or whatever you might do tobacco of course you know that's illegal that other stuff that you're thinking about yeah and i would never endorse anything like that of course not especially not on the uh airwaves so okay hold on a second uh and this is uh, a good way to enter this uh 
the story that's coming up. This is a song from Pearl Jam from No Code. It's called Present Tense, and it's uh, the way to be. Live in the present tense, not in the past, not in the future. Live right now. This is Radio Orbit. You listen to it. Mike Hagan, KOPN. And Angela. Yeah. Bye. Bye.
This is Mike Hagen, and you're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN. And it's about 3.15, and I'm going to tell you a wild story. I wasn't sure if I was going to do it. In fact, uh, I wasn't sure that I was going to be able to do it um, except for this afternoon. And uh, you'll understand what that means in a minute when I tell you what happened. Okay. Uh, um, we talked. We were talking earlier before the break about Dr. Paul Laviolette, and he has an organization and a website that's called archivefreedom.org, and it's a bunch of scientists uh, and not a bunch of... Uh, uh, new Age Hocus Pocus Freaks. These are all Ph.D. Uh, scientists, all guys that have and girls uh, that have the, uh, the right letters at the end of their names, the right histories, the right backgrounds, but because of the things that they're interested in, because of the ideas that they're um, uh, interested in researching, they are being uh, censored and suppressed openly and outrightly by the National Physics Archive. And uh, uh, Dr. Laviolette is trying to uh, create a situation where these people can get together and try to try to uh, uh, help promote their ideas. In other words, go through that uh, that gauntlet that's been set up for them. So, in any case, um, it just chaps me so badly, and I just decided that I would that synchronicity was right that I would tell this story. Um, so. Uh, what happened is there's a there's a, um, a particular website, and I don't mind plugging them here. It's called Time Bomb 2000, and uh, TB we call it TB2K. But anyway, Time Bomb 2000 is uh, was a a bulletin board primarily that was originally put together for a bunch of doom and gloomers that were concerned with uh, the end of the world uh, at the Y2K crisis. These uh, uh, particular people thought that all the computers were going to crash and the whole world was going to come to a halt uh, because of the the so-called millennium bug, if you all remember back four or five years ago. Well, it turned out that uh, Time Bomb sort of evolved and turned into a pretty uh, interesting news gathering site. There were a whole bunch of members there that were really sort of news hounds and um, it was really a pretty cool clearinghouse for information of a lot of uh, interesting different topics, including mainstream stuff, uh, but also alternative ideas and things like that. So, um, so I hung, I've, I've hung around on Time Bomb for a long time uh, since prior, uh, since before the uh, the Millennium rollover, and uh, I don't spend as much time there as I used to, but I still check it out once in a while. Well, this one day I went there and I posted, um, I posted a message because uh, on the alternative topics. Uh, about um, the interview that I had done with Nick Cook, the former aviation editor for Jane's Defense Weekly, who I interviewed live a couple of weeks ago uh, from London. And Nick wrote a book called The Hunt for Zero Point, in which he uh, investigates the covert black world, black operational reality of anti-gravity technology and some other out-of-this-world um, exotic uh, energy ideas and uh, I've determined I've, I've talked plenty to Nick before and since we've spoken on the phone and Nick is the real deal as far as I'm concerned so anyway I posted a note that I had interviewed him and uh, um, a guy replied and said hey uh, I'm interested in this and he, he asked me a question about something that Nick might be um, might have an answer to. So I tried to find the answer for him, and and this guy's name was Ray, 
and we ended up uh, sort of corresponding a little bit. Well, in one of the correspondences, Ray made a reference to a man whose name is Tom Bearden. And for anybody who's interested in the ideas of alternative technology and alternative energy technology, you'll know that Colonel Tom Bearden is uh, another one of these guys uh, that uh, falls into the same category as Dr. LaViolette. And uh, the implications of what Dr. Bearden has done are absolutely uh, earth-shattering and paradigm-changing. And um, he has not been interviewed for a long, long time. Nobody has talked to him. He, he, he stays, as we say, under the radar. And um, anyway, this guy, Ray, mentioned that he had talked to Tom Bearden in this, in this correspondence that we had. Uh, and uh, he just said it sort of in passing. And I saw that, and I thought, my God, this guy is a guy that has a connection to Bearden. And, and uh, even Kent, my friend Kent Stedman, uh, who used to have uh, a sort of loose connection to Bearden, he had sort of a go-between. He didn't have a, uh, a direct, um, uh, a direct uh, communication between the two of them, but he had a go-between this girl that was, uh, that was working for Bearden. But anyway, this guy Ray apparently had... Uh, I didn't know, you know. So anyway, so I, so I sent Ray an email back. I said, I need to talk to you off list. I told him I didn't want to talk to him on the time bomb list. Uh, that I wanted to talk to him personally, and I asked him if he would put me in touch with Dr. Bearden, with Colonel Bearden. And uh, for those of you who don't know anything about Tom Bearden, I'm going to read a little bit about, um, well, you're, you're, you're going to learn a little bit about him here in a minute. I'm going to read the, uh, the mission statement from his website here in a minute, and I'm going to give out that website because I want everybody out there, especially if there's anybody listening here, you know, this, this broadcast right now, what I'm talking about right now, um, this is directed at young people primarily. For those that are embedded and invested in the system, that are already, have already been gobbled up by the beast, look, I, I, um, I forgive you, and I hope you guys make the right decision and you girls do, you know, look into this stuff yourselves. But primarily, I'm directing this for the kids, for the young people that have an opportunity whose minds haven't already been completely poisoned by the crap uh, that, uh, that the mainstream establishments and institutions of Western civilization have, have, have jammed down our throats for the last 500 years. And um, it's, it's going to come to an end one way or the other. It's, gonna, it's either going to be nasty or it's going to be nice. But it's, the, the game's about up. And you're going to understand that a little bit better in a minute. So anyway... Um, I hope you're listening, uh, and I hope that you spread this around, okay? Um, Tom Bearden has a website. It's called Shenny.org, and I better spell it because it's sort of a French um, word, and it's, a, it's actually named after a little town in Louisiana called Shenny, Louisiana, uh, but it's spelled C-H-E-N-I-E-R-E. C-H-E-N-I-E-R-E dot org. That's Shenny dot org. And uh, Tom named it after his hometown where he was born and raised at uh, Shenny Lake there in Louisiana. 
And um, this is a guy whose background is with the U.S. Department of Energy, the Department of Defense. He's a Ph.D. and many, many other things. And I'm not going to go into it. If you go to his website, you can go check out his bio for yourself. And uh, you can try um, to discount it or debunk it if you will. And that's your prerogative. But I'm going to read the mission statement from, uh, from Colonel, Bill, uh, Cur- Colonel Bearden's website. It is my intent to simply place here many of my papers, write-ups, information, etc., so that the information is more widely available. As I've just passed my 72nd birthday, and this was, um, uh, this was actually um, written a while ago. I think, uh, I think Colonel Bearden's about 75 now. At any rate, I'm very much impressed with how slowly science changes and how quickly we humans age. I realize that every human being is fragile. One could simply depart this life at any moment. So it seems fitting to at least leave behind what I think I've learned or in some cases discovered. If these are even partially correct, then some of them have potentially significant implications. It is particularly important, I think, to make the material available for all those sharp young grad students and postdocs who are looking for where the real holes are in the present scientific models. Certainly I've not found all of the holes by any means, but I believe I have found a few of them. These we will try to point out, and in some cases we will also indicate what we think is the way to correct them. The purpose of this site is for information only. I do not have time, nor am I interested in debating how many angels can dance on the head of a pin, so to speak. Whether a particular model is right or wrong is not the question. The question is, is it useful? Does it predict some new and useful result? Eventually, technical concepts are useful only if they can do something different, provide a better model, etc. Also, abstract mathematics is a wonderful exercise and set of models, but the physics is in the concepts which the, mat- which the mathematical mo- models represent and which the mathematical operations manipulate. The physics is not in the mathematics itself, per se. So we will range across a large field of ideas. We'll indicate those where we found there is experimental validation or practical use. Others we will just present for consideration and list some possible implications. The level will be hopefully detailed concepts. We will also have to go at some better definitions for such things as charge, potential, energy, time, mind, thought, etc. Slowly we'll put up and develop a special glossary. And I'm going to interject here. Uh, You know how often I talk about language. And this is what Tom is talking about here, is that we need to push the level of communication, the sophistication of our language, in order to be able to understand and conceptualize these models. If you can't describe it, you can't go there. So we have to push these ideas. And so when you hear me saying words that might sound pretentious and stupid and 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 maybe not necessary. There's a method behind the madness here, right? We're trying to push the envelope of communication. You know, we have 500 words for the components of a CD player. We have five words for feeling. You know? 
you walk up to somebody on the street we have a we have a we have a all of us each and every one of us human beings we have a kaleidoscope of of feeling and intention that runs throughout our body and our spirit every day we go through all kinds of different feelings and changes and sometimes they're wonderful and sometimes they're horrible and most of the time they're fluctuating in between and yet we walk up to each other on the street and say oh how you doing well i'm fine how are you i'm fine this is our language this is how we describe how we feel yet we use science to describe the most mundane things down to levels that are absolutely outrageous and i think that this is one of the things that dr bearden is getting at here and um those are my words, not his, so I'll get back to his here. Um, we'll even have to go at pointing out suggested changes in Aristotelian logic and some of its shortcomings. And interspersed throughout the material will be suitable reference citations. These will help the reader to see what influenced my thinking and let him or her go back to the original source to see if it really does say what I say that it did. This way the reader can make up his or, his or her own mind about these points and these references. If these papers, concepts, and ideas stimulate further thought and particularly further developmentally by the target audience, then the purpose of this website and my work has been fulfilled. The first things we will be addressing are in the energy field, particularly with respect to an initial theory of permissible electrical power systems that take EM energy electromagnetic energy that is EM energy from the vacuum and use it to power loads our emphasis will be on mechanisms concepts and principles the second things will be on addressing will be in the medical research field particularly we will extend Becker's work to deal with the electrical operation of the cellular regeneration system which is the body's healing mechanism we will also address possible future developments of therapeutic systems along the lines pioneered by Priori, Becker, and others. And again, I will add, one of those others is Royal Raymond Reif, who um, synchronistic, uh, synchronistically, we're going to be talking to Sean Montgomery next week. I told you live, we're going to do probably a two and a half hour interview with Sean, um, who just finished his uh, second uh, documentary video on the life and history of the scientific genius Royal Raymond Reif. <clears throat> who 70, 80 years ago was doing these things that, uh, that Dr. Bearden is talking about here. So anyway, to do these first two things, we will also have to address the nature of time, the mechanism that generates the flow of mass through time, the time as a special form of a compressed energy. Here we will cite some experiments consistent with the thesis taken. A few older papers may be placed on the site to show the original far more immature thinking at the time, but also to illustrate the thrust of that thinking. These will, I hope, clarify and show that real progress has been made. Next, we will address the nature of mind, thought, mind operations, and the mind-body connection. We will particularly deal with the type of radically extended electrodynamics required, including transverse, longitudinal, and time-polarized EM waves and photons. In addition, we will address the enfolded internal longitudinal EM waves, currents, and energy inside all normal EM waves, potentials, and fields. What is the present textbook? What is in the present textbook 
are only the surface manifestations of a vast, hidden super-electromagnetics for which all conventional EM entities inside matter and in space are just superhighways. As an example, by the time we get a year along into the site, I expect to see a superluminal communication system entering the commercial markets. Uh, superluminal, for those who aren't familiar with that word, means faster than light. The system is already working now and is built by a close colleague and friend. We will say more about that when the time comes. Eventually, we will get around, perhaps, to the real decisive weapons presently holding the fate of humanity. They are not ordinary weapons, such as nuclear weapons and long-range missiles that so preoccupy the mass media. Anyway, we hope to find the material of interest. We hope you find it of interest, and perhaps it may be of assistance here and there to some young fellows who will, be, who will find beneficial applications and extensions I have not yet thought of. If so, then the purpose of this website and my work has been fulfilled. In everything we do, we will occasionally point out that the Sachs-Evans Unified Field Theory does possess the ability to model what is being discussed. A little of that has been achieved by Evans and modeled. Much of it still remains to be fully expressed in good mathematical fashion, but in the Sachs-Evans O3 electrodynamics. And I want to add one more thing here, you guys. I know that this is over the heads sometimes, some of this stuff. But I want to get it on the record. I want to say it out loud in the public domain. That's one of the reasons why I'm reading the full thing here. And I promise the story will get a little bit more interesting here in just a few minutes, okay? But let me finish here and uh, just, um, just bear with me, okay? I would like to close this mission statement with a quotation from Albert Einstein, which succinctly summarizes my own scientific philosophy and also, in a way, the mission of this website material. In his foreword to Max Jammer's Concepts of Space, The History of Theories of Space and Physics, from Harvard University, Price, uh, Harvard University Press from Cambridge, in 1969, Albert Einstein made the following profound observation. The scientist makes use of a whole arsenal of concepts, which he imbibed practically with his mother's milk, and seldom, if ever, is he aware of the eternally problematic character of his concepts. He uses this conceptual material, or speaking more exactly, these conceptual tools of thought as something obviously immutably given, something having an objective value of truth, which is hardly even, and in any case not seriously, to be doubted. In the interest of science, it is necessary over and over again to engage in the critique of these fundamental concepts in order that we may not unconsciously be ruled by them. At any rate, posting the results of our decades of re-examination of the concepts is our task, and we shall get on with it. But it is also just as important, if not even more important, to keep one's sense of humor. We will also try not to tread too heavily, and ever so often even to lighten up, so to speak. In that respect, remember that human knowledge is not absolute. At best, it's a useful model, or a set of useful models. At worst, it is a set of biases that are of little utility or even useless. The theory of modeling tells us that we shall never have a perfect theory, but only a theory which is useful, perhaps, and in the act, still, of becoming. Ralph Waldo Emerson said it beautifully, Nothing is rich but the inexhaustible wealth of nature. She shows us only surfaces, but she is a million fathoms deep. We have tried to get just a fathom or two deeper, and that is what the material will present. To the reader, 
We wish you good reading. We also wish you good fortune in your quest. Whatever it may be. This is Mike Hagan. You're listening to Radio Orbit. I'll be back in a minute. Mike, you're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN 89.5 FM. It's about 3.40 in the AM. And I just read the mission statement from Tom Bearden's website, www.sheni.org. That's C-H-E-N-I-E-R-E. And uh, as I mentioned before the break and before I read that uh, that mission statement, I had an interesting um, thing happened where this guy Ray uh, that I ran into uh, had a direct connection to Tom Beard and so I asked him if he would put me in touch with Tom and we had a series of uh, email communications back and forth and um, uh, eventually I got in touch with Tom directly and we've been uh, corresponding via email for the last uh, two or three days or so, and um, I'm going to 
uh, paraphrase some of the stuff that uh, that we've talked about and um, and tell you what's going on. So anyway, uh, Dr. Bearden has uh, uh, published a book that's called Energy from the Vacuum, Concepts and Principles, and it is an academic book. It's a textbook which lays the fundamentals of this new physics that's the old physics that's been forgotten and buried and which is tremendously important to us, our entire planet and species right now. So anyway, um, it's a big fat textbook with a lot of big words that uh, most of us won't even understand, myself included. Uh, but anyway, uh, Dr. Bearden declined to do an interview and uh, he told me that um, <laughs> well eventually he told me that it was okay that I talked about the fact that we had corresponded and uh, but initially he had told me that I could not and um, he for whatever reason um, decided in a subsequent um, correspondence that it was okay. And when we first talked, he told me that he was going to send me a couple of his books. Uh, one uh, for the uh, uh, station here and one for the library, the physics library at the University of Missouri. And he asked me if I would give him his word that I would get that book installed in the library at Mizzou and I told him I would and uh, I don't know how I mean I guess I'll just go in there and say hey how do I get this book put on your shelf but uh, I'll figure that out later but anyway he told me that he would send me um, the books and uh, but he also said you know please don't mention our correspondence that he was under surveillance and uh and that contact with the media was something that he didn't want to do uh, because he wanted to keep that group uh, low-key, so to speak. And this is what he said to me. All right? This is the, this is the world that this guy has to live in. You know, where he has to... You know, where he has to be worried about... You know, having a conversation with with me, and uh, at any rate, um, I followed up with him, and he sent me another email back uh, um, after that, and I'll read a little bit of of that too. Um, you know, he basically said that, uh, and I apologize for uh, for hesitating. It's just the stuff just really gets me, you know. But anyway, he said, I'm sorry that I can't go on your show, um, but I appreciate the invitation, et cetera, et cetera. He said, I'm going to mail a cop couple copies of this book to you with my compliments. Um, thanks. Uh, for your willingness to take it to the university so that the students will have access to it. 
That's all he cares about. You know, this is a 75-year-old man. All he cares about is getting this information into the hands of the young people so that they can do something with it, so that they can't jam the genie back into the bottle, which has happened repeatedly for the last hundred years. He says uh, they will find it heavily and solidly referenced so that the students can check the actual physics references in the hard scientific literature themselves and make up their own minds, make up their own minds as to whether or not I've accurately reported the facts. He mentions that uh, information available on the possibility of an energy crisis, a, a traditional uh, energy crisis upcoming uh, from the uh, very knowledgeable Matthew Simmons, who runs Simmons International. I won't go into the details there, but if you're interested in that, uh, the ideas of peak oil and these ideas, and again, peak oil is another one of these very controversial uh, topics. I'm not saying that I uh, uh, particularly stand behind either one of those positions. I think it's another one of these muddy water things, and who knows what's really going on. Bottom line is they're still selling plenty of oil, still pumping plenty of it. And uh, the implications and the results of that industry are ongoing in their manifold diversity. Anyway, on the second email, he says, and now you understand why I'm actually talking about it. If I said before that he told me, please not to talk about it. Well, he says in the second email, it's okay, I think, uh, if you mention that we corresponded. Um, and if listeners wish additional information in this area, of course, there's a great deal of information carried at the website at www.chenier.org, C-H-E-N-I-E-R-E.org, which can be downloaded by any visitors for free. Please keep up the good work and uh, putting out solid information for your listeners. And I wish you uh, best, uh, very best wishes, Tom Bearden. Um, and he goes on to uh, write a pretty detailed um, uh, piece after that that goes into some of the physics of some of the things that we're talking about here. But uh, but I'm not going to go into that yet. But I just want you guys to recognize what. Uh, what's going on here and if you are skeptical that this stuff is not real good that's the way you should be the reason we're in the predicament that we're in is because people have stopped asking questions so ask the questions go out there look at this stuff if you're in the physics department here at the university I challenge you go out there get this stuff when I bring that book into the library, check it out, read it. You know, make what you make of it, but but do it for yourself. And if you think there's something that's worthwhile in there, share it with somebody else. You know, are we going to stay here forever? Are we going to stay here forever? Are we going to stagnate in this racist sexist Neanderthal male dominance paternalistic disaster are we going to work our way through this 
you know. Primates work best under pressure. History has shown us that. But during times when everything's cool, we don't do much. Evolution is not this slow, comfortable, comfortable curve. It's plateaus and then big jumps. And those jumps usually come because the species is under pressure. Environmental pressure, political pressure, socioeconomic pressure, food sources, disease, all of these things. If we're going to get through them, we have to find a new way. The old ways have brought us here. They've taught us what they could teach us. Now we have to take them further and um, and take it to the next level. Or nature will take care of things on her own. It's happened before, you know. We're not as special as we think. Ask the trilobites.
Okay, that was the Indigo Girls from their debut release. I don't know when it was, but it was a great CD that was called Kid Fears. And uh, it's time to get over ours. Okay, this is Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN. And uh, phone lines are open if anybody wants to call and chat. Give me a buzz here, 573-443-8255. That's 573 or uh, if you want to talk uh, off the air on the studio, uh, wait till there's some music going and uh, call it 874-5676, if you're outside of the 573 area code, okay? I'm going to play another piece of music here. Uh, one of the things uh, this uh, show is about and what Dr. Bearden is about and what Dr. Laviolette is about and all these guys are about is dissemination, dissemination of information. This is Soul Coughing, KOPN Radio Orbit. The ghost shoot up, once a tin can. The ghost shut out, I was a fourth of dance. I like an eyeball, I like a square cut, I like a body car, I like a monster truck. Some a lot of girls shot him in the mouth and left him in the hotel. 
forget that. It's one of my favorite titles of a CD, Irresistible Bliss. Yeah, that's what you get here at Radio Orbit. Irresistible Bliss. This is Mike Hagan. It's the top of the hour. You listen to KOPN 89.5 FM. Mid-Missouri source for in-depth news, diverse talk, music of the world. It's more than radio. It's community radio. It is your imagination station. And it's the home for Radio Orbit, and you're listening to it right now. And it's the top of the hour, and, you know, that was a pretty intense hour, and uh, I decided I need to relax and shut my mouth for a few minutes. So the best way for me to be able to shut my mouth is to have somebody else talk. And so I have my friend Kent Stedman, who's up and about at, uh, oh, I guess it's 2 a.m. Seattle time, and luckily he picked up the phone. So, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Kent Stedman. Hey, Kent. Hello there. How you doing, man? I've been messing around with my guitars, cutting a bridge, tuning up the strings. <laughs> Ken, how many because guitars? it's a string thing nowadays, you know. <laughs> no doubt about that. <laughs> and a thread thing and a weaving thing. And, uh, <laughs> hey, how many guitars have you bought in the last year? I don't know. I'm afraid to count them. <laughs> uh, well, let's see. I, ah, man, I got obsessed, addicted with all these cool old guitars. I just got an old archback that dates it's 80 years old. I'm working on it, cutting a new nut for it. Cutting a nut, huh? Cutting a nut. <laughs> <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I've got some old Dobros and so on. I think what I'm doing is uh, instead of practicing and learning how to play the guitar better, I'm buying old guitars. <laughs> <laughs> Hoping that the elves of guitar land will uh, somehow tweak me. Right, they'll come through osmosis <laughs> through that through that rosewood fingerboard right up through your nails and then up into your spirit. <laughs> <laughs> but then I go, I wander over and I work on the internet on cyberspaceorbit.com. That's right, that's right. We should mention that. That's Kent's website, uh, www.cyberspaceorbit.com, and you can get there from my site or uh, directly. So. Uh, yeah, Orbit's been pretty busy lately. Yeah, and concerning things that are pretty esoteric, uh, we're getting all kinds of strange spikes on the uh, various neutron monitors around the world. And uh, uh, the sun's been acting kind of uppity, uh, way beyond its solar cycle 23 peak. And, you know, we're still... Occasionally, you know, once every couple of months, we're getting another stupendous X-class flare, and it seems like when they peak, they peak even higher than than what we remember at the height of solar cycle 23. So uh, something's agitating the sun. Well, and then we got a, a message. Uh, better get my ducks in a row here and go to my page where. Yeah, we I'm got some kind of cosmic wham on, the, there on December 27th, and it's the brightest flash of of uh, uh, electromagnetic energy that's ever been recorded. It just wiped out all the monitors. It seems like every time I come on, I say that, but this one beats them all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I actually read that story earlier when I did Space Weather, and, and, uh, and that's when I talked about Paul, you know, because uh, he sent me a pretty interesting email and mentioned that, you know, that... Uh, the reason that he felt that this one was interesting was not because of the the uh, the quote unquote brightness he said the brightness was was simply a factor of uh, uh, uh of the the um the nearness the distance between us and and this particular star which is in in our galaxy for example remember that one that that uh the first time that happened, remember that so-called the first time we heard the word magnetar and the gravity wave and all that, the, the Genesis signal, when was that? That was 98, right? 98, huge burst that freaked everybody out. They didn't know where so much energy could come from because they run it through the Einstein formula and it looks like the whole universe sang a little tune for us. Right, they said there was more energy or, or, or the equivalent amount of energy that was existent in the entire universe. Now, go swallow that. Talk about a hard swallow. Well, the thing, <laughs> the, the, yeah. <laughs> the thing is, this one that hit us on the 27th roughly corresponds to uh, the, the, the tsunami in space, roughly right. corresponds to the big hit in Indonesia. And uh, I haven't really calibrated the times and dates and everything, but it sounds like one had the. the it appears as though the uh, the uh, cosmic whammy hit us the day after the tsunami had right. hit us. But so, is there a correspondence or a synchronicity? Well, maybe so, because uh, uh, what do we know about space and time? And uh, and, and and for instance. Uh, 
if we were hit by a gravity wave, do we know what the speed of gravity is? Right, know? right. Well, and well, it could actually be the speed of gravity. I'm reading the Van Flandern thing, scratching my head here. The speed of gravity could actually uh, be faster than the speed of light. Well, let me tell you something, Kent. Um, and I mentioned this earlier, but I want to I want to see your reaction on it. But uh, when I talked to Dr. Laviolette, uh, Laviolette earlier today, he told me that um, the difference between the one that occurred in '98 and the one that happened on December 27th was that the one on December uh, December 27th was a relatively local event. It was from uh, and again, uh, of interest to him in particular, is that it uh, seemed to originate from the uh, the, ag- the uh, Sagittarius region, which is toward the the core, the center of our galaxy. And he said that th- that the the one from '98 was much more powerful, but that the reason that this one, in other words, in that story uh, from the tw- uh, from today or yesterday, it says that this was a hundred times brighter than anything that had ever been recorded before. And my question to him was, well, what about the one from 98? Because that one was supposed to have more energy than the whole freaking universe, right? So how could this one be 100 times more than that? And he said, no, he said that was a misunderstanding on my part. He said that the brightness was a different measurement and that that one that happened in 98 was actually much more powerful, but the fact that it was 50,000 light years away uh, or whatever uh, was the reason that it wasn't as intense from our perspective, and that this this more recent one uh, was close enough uh, that it appeared much more bright. So well, see, it's possible that a gravity wave disturbance could precede a large core outburst. And uh, uh, how that works? Well, uh, you know, if you're talking about the speed of gravity, say it's a Hey, it's uh, beyond the speed of light. Well, that puts it out there in a non-space and non-time and almost a sphere of perfect non-resistance, you know. And uh, oh my, you and, uh, and oh so my the way I'm trying to see the model, being an artist and all, the way I'm trying to see the model in my mind is, is some kind of a big ripple in, uh, that occurs in our space-time as a result of something going on in, in a domain that uh, it's hard for us to get a handle on and uh, the, the idea of the gravity wave getting here before the outburst that's really that's something I'm going to have to scratch my head on and think about a little bit more but I see it as a, a, the, the, the warp and woof of the uh, loom of uh, reality uh, activates you know not necessarily in linear sequence in terms of uh, uh, outbursts, but I've got a picture of it on my website. If you want to uh, uh, go to cyberspaceorbit.com, you can kind of see a matrix sort of rolling in. It looks like a big tsunami coming in from the ocean. All right, well, here, you want to think, you you said you want to think about that for a minute, right? Yeah. Listen to this. (laughs) This is from Paul today, okay? He says... The importance of this one is that it is the first large gamma ray burst to be detected occurring in our own galaxy. A core explosion would be much larger and much more prolonged. 
I wonder if there is a connection, however, to the December 26th tsunami. It occurred at 058.53 Universal Time, uh, while the GRB occurred 20 hours and 30 minutes later. So you're right. The, the gamma ray burst was actually detected some 20 hours after the event in the Indian Ocean, right? Right. Now here's what he says. Here's the, the, the so-called kicker. The timing seems very close. <laughs> My theory predicts that a gravity wave disturbance may precede large core outbursts. Yeah. Now that's, a, and, and, and the reason I read that on the air is because it, he has that in print. And so what you're saying is certainly consider, consi- being considered and, uh, and, it, and it, it's, it's, not as, uh, it's not as out there as, as people might think. Well, I, I'm going to have to dig a lot deeper in this so I can see a model in my poor brain. Uh, there's a, I've got a few links up here. The Speed of Gravity, uh, work by Tom Van Flandern. We need to read that in depth right, right, right. and compare some of the other uh, gravity bursts, well, I, gamma ray bursts that we've seen in, in prior times and, and uh, try to get a handle. But, you know, you have to realize that uh, <clears throat> our... Uh, Physics has gone way beyond, astrophysics has gone way beyond Newton. Well, maybe not, but because Newton was probably beyond what he published. No doubt, he was kind of an alchemist <laughs> in his own right. Yeah. But uh, now we're talking about uh, uh, it could be a, uh, a cosmic, sing- a quantum singularity. You know, and that, to, to me that means that uh, it's sort of a big voice that booms all over the place all at once. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, non-locality, it, it just happens. And then uh, time gets all rippled up like the picture on my website. Right, right. Reminds me of an old farmer feeding his pig. <laughs> an old farmer's feeding his pig, and he picks him up by the ears and holds him up the apple tree and goes, jump, 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 jump. Then he, big sigh of relief, and he picks him up again, jump, jump, jump. Well, this city slicker came along, he's parked his car seat. He's watching this and finally can't stand it anymore. He says, excuse me, sir. Doesn't it take a long time to feed your pig that way? The farmer says, well, heck, he says, what's time to a pig? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good point. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. And then another story that's cooking right now, and I'm, it's, I'm in the preliminary stages, so I'm liable to say something stupid about it, but I'm trying. It's, it's a real labyrinth of... Uh, investigation and so if i don't get it right somebody out there carry the ball for me and get it right for me okay yeah we'll just we'll just put it out there that we're, try- <laughs> we're trying to gather more information about this right now this so. is a call for a research call for sleuth and it's a wild story see back in august <clears throat> of 98 this guy that worked for nasa they said he was computer program for yeah. nasa shows up in a cave in southeastern ohio you know, with with down, apparently had to go down a rope ladder, and he hauled a bunch of supplies down there, and uh, sixteen guns. Right, he was loaded for bear. And he was trying to uh, apparently cook an egg or something like that when the sheriff saw his car down there and hauled him in in disguise. He was uh, Lloyd Albright. He uh, 
they hauled him in and they, they didn't let him go. They didn't send him off to confine him at all. But the, he said that it, the reason he was down there is he's afraid that uh, a certain comet called Comet Lee, which we all watched uh, back in '99, all right, watched it blaze by the he, sun. He was afraid that it broke up, and that, then he then he said that, that within a, I don't know why it's so, such an urgent matter. There's something else to this story. He said that the we'd be rained upon by the debris from this explosion of this comet uh, sometime in a period of, of the next nine years. This is back in 99. So they let him go. Well, uh, we just found out. I thought, well, what the hell heck happened to that guy, you know? <laughs> Turns out that I've got his obituary. About a year later, the guy dies. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. How did he die? Well, we contacted the uh, mortuary <laughs> in Florida, and it, they said, I can confirm that we indeed, indeed handled the services of Lloyd Logan Albright, who died April 15, 2000, uh, approximately a year later, and the name of the funeral home is Hardin Polly Funeral Home. But then we go, well, well, how the heck did he die, you know? Right. And... Uh, he said, well, I can't give you that information. So we're still working on that. But apparently we're digging around, digging around through some records and so on. We find out that he and his wife, allegedly, if we got the right guy, you know, filed suit with the, the NASA company. It had to be him that he worked for, which is a, a, a NASA affiliate called Indyne. Hmm who's into, oh, so many things. It's like a big uh, engineering company that works on rockets and, and works on communication systems and management systems. <clears throat> he and his wife went to court against Indyne and received some sort of judgment. This is between when he was down in the cave and when he died. Then he died. Hey, Ken, how, do we know how old he was? Uh... Let me see. He was 48. So pretty, pretty young man. 48 at the time. Relatively young man. And then they put his name on this Stardust Comet, which approached the Comet Wild this year. Went into the coma of Comet Wild and collected a bunch of Stardust. They sent up a computer chip. He was one of the people that had his name on that computer chip. You know, sometimes they'll do that. They'll, they'll send a sort of little Earth record. But now we're finding another Albright. <laughs> we're finding another Albright who is the same age, works for NASA, and is still alive. And, and, and he's an Ohio boy. That smells to me, though. And he's an Ohio boy. How long has he been around? Well, he's still around, but he's, he's... Yeah, but did he just appear, I mean, or has he got a history, too? I mean, that just smells... Like... No, that actually, we found him back in 99 when we were researching mm. into into uh, Lloyd. You got Lloyd L. Albright, and then you got Philip L. Albright. Huh. Well, Lloyd's dead. He's in the ground, and he's on the record of this funeral home with Phil... He's still kicking, and he's still reachable, I, hopefully, and works at Cape Canaveral. <laughs> <laughs> so 
So what did uh, he die of? Did he really die, or did he just right. bury his name or his legal name? Or you know, right? I, I, mean, I don't want to get well, I mean, hot water over this, but if there are any Albrights out there that work for NASA, would you please straighten us all out on this because it's a. <sighs> <laughs> but well, I think every one of us has, uh, one time or another, wanted to go ahead for a cave. <laughs> doubt, man. I, you know, I'm here in mid-Missouri. There are plenty of caves around here. I just go take my little bug-out bag and head for the local cave, I guess, when the freaking gamma ray burst that everybody says is impossible <laughs> wipes out our civilization. So. Now here's another element. Lloyd L. Albright, he, he works for a company called Bionetic Corporation, which is all in the microbiology. Right. Messing around with the whatever, microbiology, which includes the study of DNA, et cetera. So that, uh, you know, that's starting to sound kind of ex You know, the black goo that crawls in the corner of your eye. <laughs> drives you crazy. So that's a current research we're doing here at Cyberspace Orbit. And if I've got it wrong, I really seriously apologize. And I don't want to offend any of the family members or any, any, any Albrights anywhere on this planet. But it's a mystery, and uh, we're, we're real sorry that Lloyd died. But we're also concerned that he died so shortly after he headed for that cave, you know. And uh, then the fact that it appears that he filed some sort of suit against Indian, and then he ends up, you know. So uh, anybody out there, any cool researchers that need a project, you can help us out. I got a real crack researcher, a lady from Canada that's helping me right now. And she's the real uh, lead researcher in all this. Well, man, I'll tell you what, there is so much that's going on right now. We've talked about it before, but there is so much going on, and it is uh, revelatory, I mean, is the only word. I, but it's, I mean, there's just so much is sort of coming out of the woodwork, and who knows what it is. I mean, but uh, there, there's just, it's just out of control, the stuff, the stuff that's going on. I mean, this thing with, uh, with Albright, I mean, if he is still working for NASA... I mean, it's got to be a different guy. I think so. Maybe it's a father. Well, they're the same age. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, either that, either, I mean, regardless, okay, assume it's the same guy. That's I mean, because if it's not the same guy, it doesn't matter. No. If it's not the same guy, well, then we still have the deal with Lloyd. Yeah. Right? But, right. If it, but if it is the same guy, that's the only other interesting scenario. Well, well, that's interesting, too. You know what I mean? Why is he still there? Why was there a cover story done, you know, and all that, all, all that, all that BS? Well, you know, you and I know that it almost seems to be a hazard to one's health to study incoming or uh, celestial bodies at all. We've seen a lot of boy, boy. researchers kick the bucket, and so that immediately sends off the old alarm <sighs> signal. Here's another one. You know, uh, Gene Shoemaker dives, goes Car over accident. the edge of the cliff near Iron yeah. Gap somewhere, in, which is a secret facility in Australia. Had all those astronomers at this French observatory yeah, they, all die. In that cable car, freakish yeah. cable car accident. There are 20 of them. If you people don't know about that, this was, what, 98 again, thereabouts. Um and, uh, yeah, there was 19, I think, uh, astronomers that were heading up to that observatory in France. It was called the Pic de Bure uh, Observatory. The freaking cable car falls down 
off of the thing and just into the chasm and destroys itself and kills everybody. And they were uh, hot on the track of uh, Carmen Hale Bob. That was their specialty. In fact, they found out that Hale Bob was actually not. did have a companion, right? Well, um, the companion has been copped to by NASA. I've got a link to that somewhere on my website. But the, the main thing that they discovered was a lot of uh, non... You know, the, the dirty snowball theory was sort of uh, uh, broken through breach by their team because they found a lot of various elements in the, in the comet, huh. heavy, heavy metals and things like that, uh, that, would, uh, that would, uh, would have tweaked the original theory. See? Right. And then Harrington, you know, who's studying Planet X and is in the, uh, published in the uh, various, journals, serious interplanetary journals and so on uh, concerning a perturber or a planet out affecting the, the outer regions of our uh, solar system and he died mysteriously too. Sagan died mysteriously as far as that goes. And we got all these microbiologists, I mean... And then all these microbiologists. The story no. there, there's, there's a really a story there that I think affects us all. It's more than just curiosity. But what are they tapping into that's getting them all on the other side? Hope they're comfortable over there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's, uh, you know, people tell me, oh, it's a coincidence. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I'm quick to point out there was a, there was this old uh, philosopher of science his name was P.W. Bridgman and he said that that a coincidence was what you had left over after you'd applied a bad theory <laughs> 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 and, and uh, you know they're missing something and uh, I've almost come to the conclusion that theories are inherently bad <laughs> well they're bound to be overthrown i mean everyone comes and then it, it worked like we said before you know it works for a while you know it works for a while and then and then re and then and then it, it shoots itself in the foot i mean like science has done right now as you and i know i mean science has used its own tools to show itself for the shell game that it is well science has always been quite proud of the fact that they've cut through what they feel to be a real sludge of myth and superstition, you know, by using the rational tools of the rational mind. But you know what? The theories come and go. But the ancient myths, they don't go away. They're still with us. You know? uh, myths, a myth will out-endure a, a, a theory. No question about that. And so if you want to include permanency as, as a factor of validity of anything, then the myth is myth it still has to be dealt with and and I enjoy uh, taking that uh, putting on the myth cap and studying myths and sometimes I wonder if accumulated myths are what makes up matter <laughs> you know but I'm a more of a uh, creative mythologist and so with that and with it I was once uh, being trained to go into sciences and so it's always been interesting to me but I'm trying to, I think that it's uh, one me methodology and we need to look at them all because it's freaking amazing out there. Right, that's the thing. I mean, I, I've sort of had a, you know, I've had a uh, sort of a bone to pick with science in general lately. The fact is, I mean, I'm, yeah, science has its place. I'm not saying that it's not valid. What I'm, I guess what I'm saying is that it's not this meta-theory 
that literally defines and explains everything in the universe and that every other idea, whether it be astrology or banking, uh, has to get either the thumbs up or the thumbs down from science to be valid. And I just don't buy it. You know? Oh, and another thing that's mind-blowing and exclusive, NASA researchers claim evidence of present life on Mars. Yeah, yeah, and then that all of a sudden got shot down too, right? That's brand new. I don't know who's been shooting it down. Or yeah, there's, a, there's already another story out from NASA that says that, that, that they dispute the claim. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I just saw it earlier tonight, and I thought... Well, that figures. Yeah, I mean, and I, uh, it was the same old story, you know? Who's behind those stories, Kent? Well, you and I have talked about that. I mean, I, and, I, and I don't mean to put you on the spot. That was a rhetorical question, you know. But somebody's pulling the trigger on, on those things. I mean, we've seen water. Yeah, it, we, have, yeah. we have obvious evidence of liquid water on the planet Mars. And we know there's an atmosphere. And ammonia. There, and ammonia and methane. And, uh, and clouds. And clouds. I mean... How much do we... And ice or snow. Right. We got blue skies on Saturn. We got, you know, we got all kinds of... It rains of, on Jupiter. Right. You know, and there's <laughs> oxygen there. And these worlds are always described to us as so different and so outrageously alien. But at the same time, there are many things on them that aren't that different from here. Well, study the history of science and religion. It doesn't take too long to realize that there's a, there's a certain group... That's uh, very invested in the idea of maintaining the life only on Earth, the divine aspect of Earth being the only uh, right. sphere of creation, you know. Right. And uh, you can bump into that right away, and uh, uh, then you can you can kind of check that out and see see who might be trying to protect the medieval theory of uh, dogma theory. Right, right, right. Which would uh, be threatened by life on other worlds. Yeah. Well, regardless, uh, I mean, I, I mean, people can talk about conspiracy or whatever. It doesn't matter who's really doing it. But it certainly seems that uh, every time uh, these stories arise, that uh, they're immediately debunked, dismissed, whatever. And the and the scientists that uh, uh, that bring those ideas forward are usually shuffled uh, right off the scene <laughs> pretty quickly. So, and we'll, we'll just have to watch this one and see what happens. All right, well, hey, um, uh, hang in there. Let's play a song, and uh, we'll come back and chat for a few more minutes if you want. Okay. All right, hold on a second. Uh, this is Radio Orbit. You're listening to KOPN 89.5 FM. It's 4.30 a.m. on Sunday, the 20th of February. Wow, almost the end of the month already, and almost a third of the way or a quarter of the way through 2005 already, and it's been an interesting year already, Kent. Yes. But uh, anyway, we'll be back in a minute with Kent Stedman from www.cyberspaceorbit.com. This is Mike Hagen. You're listening to radioorbit.com on KOPN. Back in a minute. Strange. No one remembers your name when you're strange. When you 
All right, this is Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit. I'm on the line here with my friend Kent Stedman from Seattle, Washington. And uh, we're just chatting it up like we do sometimes. And uh, what uh, what else have you got on your mind, Kent? I'm well, coming up, we should keep an eye out for cosmic events because uh, uh, I just have a hunch about this. All the planets are lining up on the 22nd. What is that? Is that what, what, did you, what was the name of that thing? The Cup and the Sword or something? Well, or? that's my own fanciful name. And it came from studying the... Uh, Arrangement. You'll see it on my website, cyberspaceorbit.com. You need the visuals in order to pick my brain, <laughs> because I like to try to make things visible. But it came from studying the uh, big cairns in uh, in uh, the Boyne Valley in County Meath, Ireland, and I began looking at those cairns and getting maps and looking at them, aerial satellite views of them, so and so on. And I noticed that they were arranged very precisely in the uh, underneath the star pattern of the star cluster Pleiades, and uh, and they also spiral in a fashion that's akin to what's called the goat, the spiral that's located. Uh, implied within the golden ratio or the golden mean. Right, right. Oh, yeah, I remember the overlay that you did. Okay, okay. Yeah, so I did a couple of overlays, and it, it blew me away, and so I contacted the guys that are uh, uh, in Ireland there, and uh, uh, as a result, I began to look at the legends and the myths and so on that they're on their websites, and uh, you can click on it and get links to those, but uh, there's an... Uh, I began to say, well, oh my gosh, maybe this is uh, uh, Camelot, the original Camelot, you know. Huh. And then there's this Czechoslovakian scientist that recently came through and said, well, what we're looking at is uh, part of the Atlantean complex. In fact, he just comes out and says, Boyne Valley in County Meath, Ireland is, is Atlantis. That's right. I remember that article. <laughs> Yeah. And then yeah. I, I began looking at the myth, and I, the, the, the cup and the, the sword myth is very key in the, the, middle, in the mythology of the ancient Celts and the, and the people that came before the Celts in Ireland. And just on a notion, I, I've often thought that uh, a lot of our deities and our uh, religious concepts are astronomically based, you know. And uh, so I just I got my uh, my star charts, which allows you to track through t through time, you know, and project what's going to happen in the next few months. It's based on the bright star catalog of Yale. Right. And uh, and right, the sun is hanging right under Aquarius, which is in my estimation is a good correspondent to the cup, you know. Right, right, right. And then all Mercury, Uranus, the Sun, Venus, and Neptune are all lined in, uh, along the ecliptic, along a straight line. Uh, and that's 
that's happening right now. You know, I couldn't key it precisely. I just visually watched these planets move into position. Right, and I mean, these things that people need to understand, they don't happen in a moment. It's a, it's a, it's an ebb and flow of sorts, and and you sort of enter a window and then slowly, slowly enter it and then slowly leave it. But there's a, there's sort of a nominal point, a peak, I think, and it's sort of hard to put your finger on that. I so. put it I, actually, I put it at February twenty fourth, two thousand five. You know that corresponds to something that David Swallow had talked about too, if you remember. What was that? Well, I don't want to quote him, but uh, um, but in the back of my mind, those dates. Uh, uh, those dates are familiar, and I know it's because of David. Uh, we'll have to probably check with Steph. Uh, yeah, but, yeah uh, get it right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, anyway. So, uh, yeah. So, projecting ahead on my star chart, and you can see it is this planetary alignment. And uh, the ancients gave a lot of credence to the, to the uh, geometrical arrangement of the stars and the planets and the... Uh, comets in the, in the heavens, and uh, it's always been interesting to me, the correspondence between the sun and the Apollo myth, and which became the sun, S-O-N, right, right. and uh, also looking at some of the mythology of the ancients, say, in, uh, in pre-Columbia, down in South America, you know, they speak of the Quetzalcoatl myth. Mm-hmm. Sure, the feathered serpent. The yeah. feathered serpent. I, you know, I just asked myself. I said, Kent, if you were to look up in the night sky and you saw a feathered serpent, what would that be? Mm-hmm. You know. And mm-hmm. So, you know, I thought, well, that's a comet. <laughs> you know, a wing comet. If any of you remember Hale Bob, it looked like a big feathery serpent. Man. Yeah, and I, and there, there, there are, there's quite a few references in the in the uh, in the historical. Uh, accounts of many civilizations in the past that have referenced comets as sort of uh, dragons or uh, um, or serpents in the sky, you know. And we're also watching on the Swan array, which is a, uh, one of the camera arrays on the uh, Soho spacecraft. We're watching a strange comet that uh, seemed to track south of the sun and then take a turn and start going north, you know, again. And we're still watching that. So uh, it's getting real close to the ecliptic. So I'm going to be on that Soho website looking at the uh, sun pretty intensely over the next couple of weeks. And it's approaching from the south. And uh, it's a very spooky little astronomical body and that it appears brightly and then it disappears then there was watching the swan uh, animation there was this big blackness that occurred about two weeks ago and everything disappeared off right the right I remember, I remember so that's that's something where huh. and from the south that's uh, sort of ominous with some of these stories we've had uh, uh, floating around for the last few years but it seems to have lost its tail at the present time, which is odd because it's approaching the sun. You'd think the tail would be more pronounced. If it were a comet. Yeah. Huh. And, uh, you know, some people out there are saying, well, it's a dark star of some kind. Right. I mean, if it's not a comet, it might act differently. There's a lot of brown dwarf talk and this sort of thing. So. Well, we don't know what comets are, in my opinion. I know we have names. We have we have we have labels that we put on these things. We call things a magnetar, and then act like we know what it means. And, and they don't have to be any one thing, as far as I'm concerned. 
a comet is just sort of a blanket description of probably a lot of different entities out there. I often wonder if it's the, what the ancients in a, in our Western society where they got the concept of angel, big wing destroying angel <laughs> approaching Earth. Yeah, the wrath of God. That whole. And we've talked about this before. The L philosophy, mm-hmm. electricity, electromagnetic angel, elf. Elite, elevate, <laughs> elect. Uh, no doubt, electricity. Angels, Michael, archangels. And again, and again, we have then the word arc with archangel. And again, that's another word that's related to electricity and also uh, uh, geometry and um, and uh, architecture. You know, so all these things are related. It's hard to say exactly what it means, but there's a tremendous amount of uh, study given to this in the esoteric, uh, in, in the esoteric texts about the so-called L. And then the, these moons of Saturn that were, you know, there's so much going on. There's so many probes and so many things to look at. Some of these satellites of Saturn are so strange, like Iapetus. <laughs> it looks like... Uh, is that the one that looks like a, <laughs> it looks like like a big a, egg? Yeah, it looks, <laughs> like, <laughs> it looks like two, two half spheres were glued together right down the middle. Yeah, or like Maybe. a nut, like a, like a walnut or something with like a, like a little ridge right down the middle of it. So I went looking around again to, uh, to ancient mythology, and I found in South Africa, I, I found a sphere that looks just like Iapetus. It's a basalt sphere. Uh, or no, it's a metallic sphere from South Africa with three parallel grooves around its equator. That was found in what, in like an archaeological thing or something? In a Precambrian mineral deposit. Whoa. It had to be 2.8 billion years old. And this is supposed to be a natural thing? The one I'm looking at right now? Are you kidding me? (laughs) Yeah. Looks like a... uh, (laughs) Ever play croquet? Looks like one of those old croquet balls. It does, yeah. Oh, my God. It's metallic. It looks manufactured. It was found in a Precambrian mineral deposit. 2.8 2.8 billion years ago. Oops. Holy cow. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that looks like I have to. Go look at this, people. Go to cyberspaceorbit.com <laughs> and page down a little ways. And and what, what do we know about the name Iaptus anyway? Anyway, go look at that image of uh, or the the, the the comparison between the image from uh, the Cassini probe and uh, and this ball from Africa. Holy cow. In Greek mythology, Iapetus was a titan, the son of Uranus. Richard Hoagland has done an amazing uh, presentation on Iapetus. And I've got that linked on my side. I just yielded to his uh, scientific knowledge and expertise in reporting on that. Yeah, he, he, he did do a good job on that, I think. So and Then we got the Death Star-looking thing. <laughs> yeah, Mimas. Yeah, Minas, Mimas, Mimas. I don't know. All right, Kent. Well, look, uh, we're running out of steam here. I'm going to get on with it, finish off the show, put on some music, and... Uh, keep an eye on Saturn. Keep an eye on Mars. Watch out for this planetary alignment. And some feel there's a lot of gravitational implication that comes up when the planets align like this. Like, remember the movie 2001 Space Odyssey? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Shows the planets lining up. It's found in mythology, mysticism, and uh, perhaps astrophysics, I don't know, to a certain extent. Yeah, there's a lot to watch, and we'll we'll watch out for galactic 
gravity waves and gamma ray bursts and. And help me find Lloyd, the, the the story behind Lloyd L. Albright. I, I got a feeling, a hunch. Okay, yeah, that was an interesting one when it, when it went down. I'll never forget it because we were kind of like, what is really going on here? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Such a wacky story. It's such a fact- weird story, yeah. And then he shows up dead. Yeah. Yeah, I don't like it either. We need, we, we, I mean, we need to know more, more about well, it. Well, we're sure. working on it. Yeah. I'll see what we find out. All right, cool. Okay. All right, well, we'll do it again um, next week. Uh, I'm doing a I'm doing a show with the guy um, Sean Montgomery, who he just finished his second documentary on Royal Raymond Rife. Uh, so that's going to be a real cool sh- uh, cool show, and um, it's going to take up pretty much the whole time. But maybe the week after that, uh, we can get you on the air at least for a little while, and we'll um, get an update on this stuff. So yeah, stuff happening, new technology. I think it's being deployed and, on the one hand, and, and being Dist on the other hand is even existing. Right. Oh, there's no question about it in my opinion anymore. And it's certainly the, uh, the opinion of guys like Tom Bearden now, too. That's obvious to me now. It's no longer hearsay to me. I, I ran. I ran. <laughs> you know what I mean? a big explosion near a dam, and then it started snowing, and I ran. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> well, since we're talking about it, what, what did Charlie find about that? All he's got is a huge disturbance on his. Uh, uh, a big graph that he detected with his, uh, he's got both a ground array signal and an atmospheric array where he's pulling signals uh, from around the world, actually. He can kind of perceive through a series of filters what's happening everywhere. So, and you take a look at the graph, and uh, it's really dramatic. Yeah, like you say, well, there's, I mean, that's uh, outrageous. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I mean, what does that mean? I mean, what, the fact that he's picking that up, what what does that tell us? I mean, is that standard for every explosion, or is it, or is it some sort of particular signature that was unique to this thing? Or, I mean, explosions happen all the time, right? Yeah, Fred has discovered that the Earth is a very good conductor of signals, and... Uh, with the proper triangulation and the getting enough stations uh, so they can uh, key in on these events, they can kind of tell where they are now. Hmm. Man, oh, man. Well, all right. Well, plenty to talk about next content. So. <laughs> okay, thanks a lot. All right, hey, thanks, man. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. All right, bye. All right, uh, ladies and gentlemen, that was Kent Stedman from www.cyberspaceorbit.com. I appreciate him taking a little time out to spend with us here at the end of the show. And, um, well, uh, I guess uh, we'll just finish things off here. We've got a little bit of music to finish the show off. But uh, just a reminder, as I said to Kent, uh, next week should be a real interesting show. We're going to be talking to Sean, Montgov- uh, Sean Montgomery about Royal Raymond Rife, a medical scientific genius uh, who was around no less than 70 years ago. And... Uh, was an astounding individual and had some incredible, uh, uh, incredible advancements and discoveries and uh, inventions to his name that are all perfectly and wonderfully documented, actually, in the historical record of this country. Uh, but interestingly, Royal Raymond Rife is somebody who dropped off the map, and um, very few people even know uh, his name. But we will try to uh, make his name a little bit more familiar to people here in the Columbia area and anybody else who might be listening to Radio Orbit online or elsewhere. Um, I'd like to also mention uh, thanks to um, 
uh, to Martin for helping me out with the website stuff. We're very close to uh, to getting the audio stuff a little bit uh, further up on the evolutionary ladder. And we're going to be doing podcasting hopefully very quickly within the next couple months. And uh, we should also be doing um, having a better uh, a better level of quality for the um, for the downloaded uh, uh, downloaded archived versions of the show that go up online um, at the end of the week or at the beginning of the week. So anyway, working on that stuff, and I'm trying to make it better for you guys. So hopefully um, hopefully it works out. Okay. All right. Uh, and in the meantime. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show tonight. And uh, if you're interested in any of this uh, information, always, always, please feel free. Email me at uh, orbitradio at AOL.com or go to the website www.radioorbit.com. And I've got links and uh, um, uh, to all of this stuff. Okay? So, all right. Enjoy yourselves. Take it easy. Stick around for Carol... Uh, Greenspan doing Jewish Spectrum in just a few minutes playing some lovely music as she does every Sunday morning and uh, I'll be with you in about a week okay take care of yourselves this is Radio Orbit I'll see you then bye